days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 263, Revelations. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. I know, it's been a while. Um, I actually didn't think I was going to get an episode in the month of January, and it still might not come out then. I'm going to try to get this out tomorrow. It is actually January 30th, Sunday, January 30th, as of me recording this. Um, wanted to try to get an episode out for you guys. Um, totally my fault, you know, no excuses or anything like that, just had not organized trying to get the guys together and everything else. The next episode we do will have the guys. I'm going to try to make it up in February by getting at least two episodes, if not more, out. Um, might do some more things like this late night type of thing. I usually do episodes like this uh, for the Patreon members when I'm going through previews. I'll just have a night where I go through the catalog and... Um, mark things up and uh, what issues I want to talk about and everything else. And then I'm down in my kitchen area with my portable recorder and I just record and whatever comes out of my mouth is what comes out of my mouth (laughs) as I'm going through previews. And we often go on crazy tangents and I often have my dog barking or growling. Um, as you may have heard her in the distance there, um, or you'll hear her walking around with her collar jingling, uh, from her tags and everything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just kind of off the cuff and everything else. And that's kind of what this episode is. Um, I am going to talk about a few things I'm going to talk about. Also, it's late at night. It's like 1130 at night. I do have work tomorrow morning. I don't know how long this episode will be, but I want to make sure I cover everything. So I'm not shortchanging it by like rushing but I might talk fast. Who knows? Um, but this is kind of what you get as a Patreon member is just a lot of tangents and everything else, like whatever's on my mind at the moment while also talking about comics that I'm reading, comics that are coming out, comics that have come out, things like that. Um, 
But two things I wanted to do. Uh, one was something I've been promising for a while, which is I wanted to cover the first issue of the Masters of the Universe Revelation comic. I had mentioned in the past that I wasn't a big fan of the comic, um, uh, at least the first issue. It did get better as it went along. It was a four-issue miniseries that was kind of like, kind of, but not really leading up to the animated Netflix show. Um, it was meant to be kind of a prequel to that. Um, it was, and it wasn't like it, I don't know, it was just kind of weird. Uh, it, it didn't like just lead right up to it. Um, but the first issue, um, I had my own issues, <laughs> no pun intended, with it. Um, there was things I liked about it, and I'll go over those things, and there was things I didn't care for, um, especially with considering what it was supposed to be accomplishing and, and things like that, and we'll talk about that. Um, and then um, I also want to talk about kind of the state of where things are right now when it comes to the podcast, when it comes to um, social media, when it comes to, um, and then when it comes to the comic industry itself, just cause I have some thoughts about it. Um, first and foremost, uh, I want to say, uh, when it comes to anything we talk about on the show, um, I am not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert. Uh, I am kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. So, I know a lot about Star Wars. I know a lot about G.I. Joe. I know a lot about Transformers. I know a lot about Masters of the Universe. I am by no means a expert in any of those. So I will get things wrong and I will have information wrong. And it's just based on what I know at the time. I'm also getting older, so I don't remember things as well as I used to, which is a shame because I used to be able to remember everything. Um, or at least it felt that way. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of, uh, I wanted to put that out there because I'm going to talk about some things in this episode and uh, including the comic itself where I might say something and you might be like, nope, that's totally wrong. That was completely covered by this, you know, Motu Classics or that was covered in the, the Mike Young production of, uh, Master Universe or whatever it is. Um, I never claim to be an expert. I never claim to, uh, be the authority on this stuff. This is just stuff I enjoy. This is stuff I love. And I think for the most part, most of the people out there, um, most of you people listening know that, uh, and you're just fans of this stuff too. And you like hearing from another fellow fan. And I say that because only because there seems to be a lot of people that want to berate you. Um, I haven't experienced this too much, thankfully, but there seems to be a lot of people out there that want to berate you for not knowing everything and anything that they know in regards to anything, whether it be these properties, whether it be politics, whether it be life in general. And that bothers me a lot. Um, we just seem to keep heading down this negative path and I try to be an optimist and some people might say, well, you're being naive and well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I can tell you that I try to be happy. So, um, I do think and feel that people are inherent, are inherently good. And sometimes the sides we, we see on, of them on social media 
are not necessarily the sides of who they would be in real life if you were to meet them in real life. Um, with that being said, I wanted to talk about social media and stuff like that. But first and foremost, like the biggest reason I wanted to say this, say these things about like not being an expert and everything is that is I don't want anyone thinking that I am, uh, that what I say is, is like that, that I have any type of ego when it comes to these type of things. Anyone who's been listening to the show long enough should know that. And I don't say that as, and, and I can come across, let's put it this way. I can come across very confident. I can come across as very knowledgeable, all these type of things. Part of my job is to be confident in decisions that I make. So, and, and I mean my, like my actual daytime job. So when I am saying things, I tend to say things as if I know a hundred percent what I'm talking about. I'm here to tell you. I don't know a hundred percent what I'm talking about. I have reached an age in my life where I know that when I was in my thirties, I knew nothing. When I was in my thirties, I knew that when I was in my twenties, I knew nothing. I'm at an age now where I already know that I know nothing. <laughs> and that when I get to my fifties, I'm going to know more, but I'm still going to know nothing. You know, it's, it's one of those things like I, I don't think that highly of myself. So if I ever come across as too cocky or too confident or something like that, believe me, it's a facade. <laughs> but, and like I said, I don't say this for any particular reason other than there's been things on social media where I've clashed with some people and, or I've made comments and everything else. And I've noticed it from other people, not just from myself, but from other people. Like I will say something and someone else will step in and say, well, you're wrong and here's why. And that's fine. I, w if I have something wrong, I would want someone to let me know. And then I become more knowledgeable. However, I have come across a lot of people in various communities where they want to be the authority on something and they want to be the one, um, to chastise others for, for it. I'm never going to be that person. I don't want to associate myself with those type of people. Um, so like I said, if I ever come across that way to you, please be assured that is not how I am as a person. And I apologize if I ever came across that way. Um, that leads me into social media, which is where a lot of this came from. Um, I'm also at an age where I'm just tired of dealing with a bunch of bullshit, just plain and simple. And I'm sure a lot of you are as well. You might not even be at an age where of that, but you might be just seeing enough stuff on social media where you're just like, you know what? I don't need to put up with that anymore. I used to get in debates with people. I used to try to, um, talk them down. And I still do that in my life. I'm not doing that on social media anymore. Um, you absolutely a thousand percent can have a completely different opinion from me, um, or any other people on the social media pages. You could like something and they could not, you, they could like something and you might not. And it's perfectly fine to express that. It's perfectly fine to have a nice, friendly, civil debate about ideas. Um, but it's not okay to get nasty with people. Um, certainly as hell not okay to get nasty with me. Um, I had somebody just today 
And this is why, partly why it came up. I had someone that just today made a comment about, um, that we put up a meme. I put up a meme and it had a family guy little reference to it. And someone's, and the person said, and it's somebody who's commented before and never had any issues or anything like that. Um, but I've seen him comment before and again, nothing ever bad. Um, but he commented and said like, well, the fact that you're using a family guy meme shows me your taste and whatever, like it was generally insulting my taste and stuff. And I was, so I commented back and just said, it might not be the smartest move to insult the tastes of, um, to actually insult the, the tastes of, of the person who posted it. And, uh, rather than being like realizing that that was kind of like how it was said and what was said as being kind of, yeah, uh, aggressive or attacking, uh, the person doubled down and said, um, you know, basically learn to take some criticism, uh, and humility goes a long way. It was the gist of it. He said some other things in there. And I said, I said, or, uh, I said, well, I wasn't commenting on the f- fact. Oh, cause he, he made a comment saying like, um, learn to take some criticism and your, someone's opinion doesn't have to be, can be different from yours. And it says humility goes a long way. And I said, wasn't commenting on you having a differing opinion. That's totally fine. Was commenting on the fact that you were insulting, trying to insult my tastes or you were insulting my tastes and stuff. And I said, you know, not being rude goes a long way too. And the guy went off and started to obviously not someone that listens to the podcast because he has no, didn't know anything about me and just went on this tirade of saying, um, how I'm a 40 some year old person, uh, who lives in his mom's basement. Maybe I should get out a little bit more and grow the F up. Um, instead of being surrounded by your uh, museum of action figure toys or like, something like that. And just saying like, you're not worth the the effort and just like, started getting nasty. And I was like, you know what? Nope. Done. In the past, I would argue back. I would point out, I would make comments back. Um, not at him, but just kind of trying to defuse the situation. Nope. Blocked them, banned them, kicked them the hell out. And I really don't care. I just don't. I'm, I'm done giving a shit when someone wants to act that way. Um, so it, it's not going to be tolerated on social, on the social media pages. Again, you want to have different opinions and things like that. That's fine. The second you start getting nasty with people, you're gone. That's it. Done. Because here's the thing. We have done this podcast for 12 years. We have done the social media pages for as long. We don't have to do any of them. We, we don't, we do them because we enjoy doing them. We, we have fun. We love laughing with people. We love having conversations with people. And yes, I like debating with people. I like having, you know, a nice debate of ideas. Um, but at no point should it ever become personal. No, at no point should it ever become attacking or anything like that. Um, we can have different opinions without it reaching that. And I'm, I just, I'm, I'm done with it. And, if it 
you know, if it continues, I mean, we could be done with everything that, you know, we can, we could be done with the podcast. We could be done with the pages. We can shut it all down. We don't have to do those things. We don't, they don't have to be out there. And I know for all of you listening, you're at least I believe, uh, I know from the, the people that I interact with, um, I don't know about everyone listening cause not everyone that listens does interact on social media or does reach out. Um, to the podcast, let us know that you're listening, but I would say majority, like all the people that I've interacted with, and I would think majority of the people that are listening to this podcast are not that type of people. So you might be feeling like, Oh man, Ryan's getting a little harsh here. It's just, we're reaching that stage of life and social media and everything else where I'm just like, that's not the environment I want for any of us. I don't want anyone to ever come to our group page or our fan page or anything like that and feel like they're going to get personally attacked and that there's not going to be any repercussions that nothing's going to happen or that they can come to our social media pages and do the attacking. I don't want that. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want it for me. Um, to rock who's been on the show before use the whole, uh, Murtaugh thing of like, I'm too old for this shit, getting too old for this shit. And, uh, that's where I'm at. I'm just, I'm too old for it. I don't, and I don't need to tolerate it. You guys don't need to tolerate it. So, so yeah, just wanted to give it kind of a PSA out there that two things. One is I am not an authority on anything. I will never, hopefully never make you feel like I'm chastising you or berating you that you don't know something and I do know it or something like that. If I'm giving any information, it's just stuff I know sharing it and that's it. And that when it comes to our social media stuff, yeah, like zero tolerance at this point, like you basically get one strike of like, Hey, let's calm the hell down. And then if not, then bye, you know, boom, like, and I love people that come, I've had people contact me like privately after I blocked them and go and just go the hell off. And they're like, I don't need your page and stuff like that. And I'm like, kind of sounds like maybe you do, because if you didn't need our page, why were you bothering reaching out to me? It's like, they're, they're just mad. They're frustrated. They're, they know they acted like an ass or maybe they don't know. And they're lashing out. Sorry. Just, I don't, we don't need that, that type of attitude. So, um, I hate, and I, and I do sincerely hate having these types of talks. I hate having, you know, having to do posts like that and everything else, but it's just like, it just seems more and more people are getting angry over the dumbest shit in the world. Like this is fun stuff that we're covering. We're covering masses of the universe, comic books, GI Joe, star Wars, all that fun stuff. Like why, why does it have to turn into something like that? So, so I just wanted to put it out there. Like if you ever, if you guys ever notice something, and I guess that's more of the thing. Like if you guys ever notice something like we do our best to monitor the pages and, and social media and everything else, but there's going to be stuff we miss. And if you see something, it's, it's the whole, if you see something, tell somebody. Um, so yeah, if you see something out there, um, I don't think any of you are the ones that are causing this type of stuff to happen. Um, but if you see someone doing something, please bring it to our attention. Don't try to handle it yourself. Um, we'll handle it. And, and again, we have the power then to, to, block them if we need to. So, 
Um, there's been people that brought stuff to my attention. I'm very grateful for whether it be spam or whether it be someone getting nasty or whatever. So, um, so yeah, just, just kind of wanted to do that. Also wanted to let you guys know plans for the future of the podcast and everything else. Um, I don't know how often episodes will come out. I want to get episodes out more often. I just don't know how realistic it will be. I don't want to make any promises or anything like that. Um, I'm not doing the YouTube channel anymore cause it's just very time consuming. Like if I'm doing that, then I'm not doing the podcast. Like it's kind of one or the other right now. Cause I've got too many things going on too too many pots on the stove right now that are, I, that all require my attention. And I don't, we've been doing this podcast for so long and, um, you guys have been very devoted fans of it and have enjoyed it for so long that I want to make sure that we are getting stuff out to you guys first and foremost. So like I said, could, could I be doing a YouTube channel on my own and just doing comic reviews and news and stuff like that and have it get big? Yeah, possibly. I'd have to devote a lot of time outside of work doing that. Um, and I definitely wouldn't be able to do the podcast anymore. And I, like I said, just don't want to do that. But like, Maybe if it was 10 years ago and we had just been doing the show for like a couple of years and I saw that as a different opportunity, maybe, um, I have thought about doing TikTok comic reviews, uh, because I found from doing TikTok videos for my comic to help promote it, that they're not very time consuming because you basically go on there and whatever, kind of like this, whatever comes out of your mouth comes out and uh, you do your review. Maybe you have to do a couple takes just to get it right. Um, but it's not as time consuming as doing a YouTube video like YouTube, uh, to give you guys an idea. If you haven't heard earlier episodes when I was doing it, like I would do a seven minute to 10 minute video and it would take me hour, hour and a half to do the editing for it, to get it all done, get it posted. Um, all the notes that have to go on it and everything else like artwork that you, that people want to see and stuff like, cause I wanted to do it well. I wanted to do it right. And I had people suggesting things that I thought were good suggestions. And so I did all those things and I loved doing it. Like I don't get me wrong. I loved doing the YouTube videos. They were awesome. Um, I loved being able to put more, you know, putting some creativity into it and everything else and getting to talk about comics and everything. But it was just very time consuming. Um, and with me doing my own comic now and trying to get that going, um, it's just, it's very time consuming. But like I said, it's possible I will do, be doing a TikTok. I did create a TikTok account for Star Joe's. I just don't have any videos up yet for it, but I have thought about, Hey, once I start getting caught up on some of these properties in comics, maybe I do some videos of like some one minute comic review reviews. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. I'll let you guys know. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Uh, I have ideas as far as what I can do with that. And, uh, like I said, it, it's, it's setting up a tripod and re hitting record and just kind of going with it. And you can usually, I can usually from start to finish, get a video. Like when I was doing it for the comic, uh, stealth hammer comic, I was doing a TikTok video, I'd have it up within like 20 minutes. That, that's like from recording it to having it out there. Um, and so, yeah, if, if I can do comic reviews in 20 minutes, then that, then I'll do that. Um, 
and uh, and then I think those can be shared on YouTube. So um, it'll just look weird on YouTube. That's all because it's like a vertical video type thing. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll share them on there so people can access it through the Star Joe's YouTube page and everything else. But we'll see. That haven't made a decision yet. Uh, probably won't make a decision for a little bit. But so with that being said, I want one of the topics I wanted to talk about before getting into Masters of the Universe Revelation is something else I saw on social media recently. And um, I watch uh, some comic YouTubers and everything else, and they were all talking about different things. And what got me thinking about this was, like, it got me thinking about just the comic industry in general and everything else, was something that happened in the um, comic medium, which was, you may have seen that there was a Tennessee school board that um, banned the uh, graphic novel Mouse. Um, if you know what Mouse is, Mouse is um, the story. I, I have not read it myself. It's on my short list of things that I, I'm lacking in, in my comic reading, and I'm going to read it. I've, I know it's very powerful. I know it's very emotional. It's 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 a deep story, and it's a perfect illustration of how comics can really tell. Uh, um, a social story, um, which is something it's accused of doing badly in recent times. But it's uh, the creator of it uh, was telling the story, I think, of is either of his father or grandfather. Um, I think it was his father surviving uh, being a Jewish prisoner during the Holocaust and at Auschwitz and everything. And in Mouse, the, the Jewish people are mice. And the Nazis are cats. Um, I have ordered a book of it because I want to read it. Um, I think it's important. I think it's horrible that uh, that it got banned. I don't think any book should be banned outside of age restrictions. So would I want a grade school kid reading Mouse? No. I don't think that they have the, um, I don't think they're mentally ready to understand that, but I think a high school student absolutely should. Um, I think understanding things that have happened, uh, and different ways of telling those stories are, it's important. And I, they, the Tennessee board gave reasons as to why they were banning it. They said due to nudity and due to bad language. So it wasn't anything to do with the you know, the fact of it being about the Holocaust. Um, I might call bullshit on that, but that's what they said. So even taking them at face value, from what I understand, and again, I have not read the story yet, um, but this is from the authors that there is a scene of his, I think his grandmother, he said, um, being naked, and I don't know if it's his actual grandmother or if it's a mouse representing his grandmother. It's naked, um, but it's a small panel, and it's definitely not sexualized at all. Um, and then the the swear words uh, swear word according to him was "damn," and he said like if you wanted to edit that stuff out, fine, you can do that. Doesn't take away from the story. Um. And that's the thing I think I have the biggest problem with is 
So if that's the reason why, then you, those in Tennessee that banned this, are completely naive to what your kids are exposed to. Because if you're trying to avoid them from seeing the word damn, seriously, like, that's barely even a swear word anymore. And I guarantee your kids have said worse, let alone seen worse. Uh, especially if you're letting them go see R-rated movies or, hell, even PG-13 movies. Uh, I guarantee word damn has been in those things. But I know that you're letting them watch R-rated movies. Um... Because you can't control that. Um, and if you think your kid is sexualizing a grandmother, mouse, or, or human-wise, due to out, from Auschwitz, please, they're looking up porn on the internet constantly. And I don't care if you're blocking this or that. I guarantee they're finding ways to see it. Um, doesn't mean I'm condoning that behavior. I'm just saying, like, Maybe if you took more of an interest in preventing them from seeing that type of stuff, if you're clutching your pearls that much. Like, oh, this damn, and there's a naked older lady in there. Grow up. Like, take the stick out your ass, unclutch the pearls, realize the context of what is being done in the story and why it's being done. Um, I saw somebody post, like, uh, books that were banned in 2020 from whatever schools or whatever like that. And one of them was Fahrenheit 451. And I was like, wow, talk about the irony of that. You're banning a book that you evidently have never read because if you read it, it's, it's actually a story against what you're doing. <laughs> um, just blows my mind. So anyways, I, I wanted to say my piece because I think a lot of people that are into comics and everything else were talking about it and expressing their displeasure at this. Now, the great thing is that Mouse is now a top seller, including myself doing it, uh, getting it, uh, which I love because that means it's getting in more and more people's hands. Um, but I was also kind of hoping that the school board was going to reverse the decision. Uh, after hearing all the issues that people had with them making that decision. So, um, maybe if they actually read the material, cause I guarantee you they have not. Um, and, and maybe, maybe some of them did and it didn't make them feel good. And that's why they don't want their kids not feeling good. Well, guess what? Sometimes life is, doesn't feel good. And I think a teenager in high school is okay with, being exposed to that type of stuff, maybe it may actually make them feel a little bit better about feeling awkward is knowing that life sometimes isn't the best, but that we can learn from it and we can get better and we can grow. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it, bo it boggles my mind. So it, all of that got me also thinking about the comic industry and I saw somebody talking about this and of course they talked about, how the comic industry is on a decline. And they, they talked about in this YouTube video about, you know, a lot of factors that are impacting that and how some people want to have like these absolute reasons. And I thought I would give my two cents. And again, I'm not an expert, but I, I think I know enough of things that are impacting things, um, to understand it. But of course, 
as this YouTuber mentioned, he, he goes, but it's comics by perch. If you ever want to check it out, but he was talking about, and I totally agree with this. He said that people like the absolutes because it's easier to deal with. Like they, they like to assume that it's this. So the, the common one is go woke or go, go broke. It's the, the catchphrase right now going on with anyone that has a problem with political correctness, social justice type characters being brought in, changing a character from a male to a female, changing a character from white to black, whatever it is. Um, they refer to it as going woke. And then they say, and then when the sales don't go well, they go, well, if you go woke, you go broke. And it's so easy to have that absolute that, that you can look at the comics that fit your agenda. Cause of course they blame everyone else for having an agenda. And we talk about that on the show a lot and we will get into that as well, but they, they blame people for having an agenda that damages the comic and then people don't buy it. So they go woke, they go broke, but you're seeing the ones that work to your, to your agenda of showing that you don't see the ones that actually do well and kind of have some of the same things in them. So, um, so I wanted to talk about, and I actually made a comment saying, you know, I agreed with that and everything else. And, and someone got in a debate with me and I just decided to eventually step away from it. Cause again, I'm getting too old for that shit. <laughs> um, because this person was just convinced that that is the reason that the comic industry is failing is this whole woke thing. And the funny thing was, I didn't disagree with the person that plays a factor into it. Maybe not in the way that that person wants to believe, but I said, you know, certain things like that absolutely have had a factor in like, um, comics sales going down and everything else. Um, but there's also, it's multifaceted, like many things in life, like so many things in life are multifaceted that cause things to be good and cause things to be bad. And people just want to fixate on one thing and say, that's the cause. And that's it because it's easier to deal with. It's easier to point out something and say, that's the fault. That's the problem. Just like the mouse book. That's why I brought it up. It's so easy to be like, well, here's the problem. And I don't want my kids reading it. So we're going to remove that instead of looking at it as how many other things are going on. Like, I almost feel like parents think by getting rid of that book, their kid won't be as traumatized and there'll be less suicide rates. Like I almost feel like that's their thought is that there'll be less teen suicides because kids won't be reading these, the foul language and you know, whatever. So, but it, it is so multifaceted and I've been guilty of it too. Like I, I blame just like parents. Like I'll say, well, the reason the kid's, are dealing with this and that and everything else because the parents aren't raising them right. That's not true. That's just an easy blanket statement. Are there some parents that that's the issue? Absolutely. Are there also kids that are doing bad things and they had very good upbringings? Absolutely. So it, you can't just blame one thing. Um, but so many times you go back in history, comics were blamed for why kids went bad, uh, video games, violent movies, things like that. Um, and it's, it's just not that simple. And so to point at the comic industry and sales going down and saying, well, it's, it's because all these comics are going woke. That's not the only reason. 
And it's probably not the reason that you think it is, at least according to everything I've seen. Again, your opinion may differ, but let's get into the woke stuff. So, um, because there is a factor with that, um, when it comes to that, there are stories that are done. And we've talked about this on the show so many times where they change things or they do things simply to focus on an agenda versus telling a good story. Um, I'll, I'll give you my own personal example of the comic I'm doing. I'm doing stealth hammer. I have a female superhero. Why is it a female superhero? Not because I'm going woke, but because it's based on my wife. My wife happens to be a woman. There you go. That's why my hero is a woman. Now, if someone reads that and feels like this is a positive female character and they're getting something out of it because of that, that's awesome. That's great. That means I'm still doing my job as a storyteller. I'm telling a good story that someone got something out of it. My character can also do, uh, be, uh, she can, she's in the second issue. She's like repairing a robot and she knows technology and stuff like that. That's not because I'm making her a Mary Sue. It's because her dad is a scientist. It makes sense that she'd pick up on stuff. She grew up with stuff. She built this robot initially with her dad. So like, it makes sense for the character in the story. Now, if someone gets out of that, like, oh, this is awesome. Like a good reference for STEM, you know, women getting it, uh, girls getting into science and technology and stuff like that. Great. I'm glad that someone gets something like that out of it. Did I write it with that intention? Hell no, I didn't with that intention. But I think most stories out there that have these really good positive messages or deal with really good social issues and stuff like that didn't go into it with that in mind. Didn't go into it with, this is the message I'm trying to deliver. They went into it saying, I want to tell a really good story. And they looked at life and they looked at what's going on in life and everything else and felt like they can pull elements from that into their story to, to shape the story. But the story came first. And I don't think that that's what's happening so much anymore. I feel now it's, we want to have this type of character or this type of story, um, to fill this agenda and now tell a story around that. And that doesn't work. Um, you do end up with a bad story more times than not. I mean, I'm not going to say there are times when it works, but more times than not, it turns into a bad story. Um, I'll tell you, like, I'll give you an example of some things that, that I read, something I read recently, and then something from some things from the past. Um, just recently I've been getting caught up on the Captain Marvel series. I actually like it. I think it's pretty good. It's not a great comic. It's not one where I'm like, oh my God, everyone's got to read this. This is amazing. But it's not a crap comic either. Like, I know there's people that don't want to read Captain Marvel because that's not their Captain Marvel. And again, that it's a, a female character that took over the role. I'm fine with that. I don't care. The female character took over the role. Any character can take over the role. Um, it made sense for the story at the time and everything else. Captain Marvel has a relationship, at least right now in the stories I'm reading with James Rhodes. She's a white woman with a black man. Did they go into this story saying we want to show an interracial couple. I don't know, but I can, I can tell you for a fact that reading it, it doesn't come across that way. It just comes across as two people 
that worked closely together. They, in, in the superhero community, they had an attraction for each other and they started a relationship together. And that's how it comes across. Now, someone reading that, if they're like, this is a great example of an interracial couple, that's fantastic. That's, that's great if someone gets out of that, that because it is a positive relationship, something good, but it's not made into like, that's their agenda in the story. The story is completely different from that. That's just a part of the characters' lives in the story. I think that's great. When you look in the past, um, and I use this as examples and the person was like, when I was talking with them about it, they, they threw it in my face saying that, well, those were well-developed characters and everything else. And that goes into something else that I'll, I'll mention, but I mentioned storm taking over leadership of the X-Men. Um, you have a black female character taking over leadership of the team from what was previously led by a white male. Um, you had Wasp from the Avengers. She became leader of the team there. You had a female character now in a leadership role. Um, I mentioned James Rhodes. You had James Rhodes became Iron Man. A black male character took over the role of Iron Man. You had Jon Stewart, Green Lantern, took over the role of Green Lantern from a white male character. If any of those stories came out today, people would say they were woke. People would say that it was an agenda. And, but no one said that back then. It was probably startling or shocking or something like that, maybe. Um, maybe for some people. Um, but majority of people, at least looking back on those stories, go, well, you, they did such a good job of developing those characters that it made sense for them to take over those roles. And it didn't matter what they were. It didn't matter what their background was, what race they were, what gender they were, anything like that. And to an extent, I will agree with people on that. So, I, like, looking at those stories, I think they were well-developed characters. It made sense for them to fill into those roles. Do I think that happens today? Yes. Do I think it happens often? No. And the reason why is one of the other problems I think going on in comics, which is rushing things too much. There's so many stories we want this instant gratification, or at least the publishers want this instant gratification of like the hot book being out there because something happened. Um, we see it with the Superman title right now, Son of kal which reading it, I like it. I've read the first few issues of it. I like it, but it seemed like they were trying to rush into the fact of him being, I don't know if he's bi or gay or what he is, doesn't matter. Um, he's not straight. Um, and they made that a big news item because they want to sell that hot book. Um, Dick, uh, not Dick Grayson, but Tim Drake, uh, came out as being bi, uh, in a, in a story, Urban Legends, uh, Batman Urban Legends story. That story, like, was shaped and developed in three issues and it was done as a backup story in those three issues. So again, they're just, they're rushing these things. They're not letting things happen through a character growing and changing. So I do think that hurts comic sales sometimes because people will read that or get turned off by that. It's just like it happened too quickly. It, it, 
you're doing it too fast. I think Jane Foster Thor, which this person disagreed with me on, but I'm sorry, sales numbers show otherwise. Jane Foster Thor was done very well because you've had this long-term character, Jane Foster. She eventually became Thor. We didn't know who she was. Like she, we knew there was a female Thor and there was a mystery behind that. And they did a really great job of holding that mystery and growing the character and sales were like going steady or even going up at times. And then once the mystery was revealed as far as who she was, which is all people really wanted to know, um, then sales started coming down as they often do. Um, but you had a female character who was well-developed story was done well, and it was done over a long period of time and people were reading it. People were interested in it. Um, they obviously went back to the status quo, but honestly, I don't know if they needed to. I, I think they did it just to get the spike up in sales again. Um, so I do think that they rush things at times. I think the comic, comic industry rushes things at times, and that turns people away. Um, and that comes not just from for like diversity reasons or anything like that. I'm talking about when it comes to a lot of things. It's like, well, let's let's get this headline out there. Um, so I do think there's times where uh, the social issues and diversity and stuff like that is forced into the story to try to get those headlines, to try to get the news items, to try to increase those sales rather than doing it in a way that works for telling a story. And yes, that ends up hurting it. And yes, that, that in those sense terms, I would say that's going woke, quote unquote, going woke and then going broke because of it, because the story isn't good. So therefore sales goes down uh, because people read it and they go, well, this isn't even any good. Um, tied into that, you have some, some creators, not all, some creators are very vocal on social media in a negative way. You have people that, um, will say stuff like this is pissing off all the right people. You should never be wanting to piss off your potential readers, people that might be buying your books. That's going to hurt your sales. You shouldn't be intentionally trying to piss people off. Um, that shouldn't be the focus of why you're telling the story is because, oh, this is going to piss some people off. That's, uh, that's why so many things will fail in sales is because you're intentionally trying to piss people off. Whether they saw your social media post about it or not, they can read it in the story. Um, so that definitely plays into sales. Um, I talked about rushing things. There's also dragging shit out. <laughs> that hurts sales. Um, we're so busy writing for the trade nowadays. You know, you can't just, something that would have taken three issues to write is taking six issues to write and it starts feeling like it's dragging and it's going slow. And that's something that I hear from a lot of people that read comics is just, you'll hear them say, I really didn't dig this issue because it just didn't move the story forward at all. And it's like, well, yeah, it's issue three. They're trying to get to five or six issues. So they have an arc that goes in the trade. Remember when we just told a story because it was a good story. It didn't matter if it was one issue, two issues, five issues, 10 issues, 12 issues. I just read something is killing the children. Uh, it was a 15 issue story arc. It's in the hardcover. 
like that that story starts with issue one it doesn't finish till issue 15 that's and that's a whole arc that was the whole arc they're about to start they they not about to start they already start issue 16 is a new arc it's I read that hardcover and there's no point in there where you can tell me okay these six issues was one arc and these six issues was another arc no it 15 issues to get your story and I loved it I thought it was awesome because they were focused on telling the story not focused on putting into a trade and I understand the irony I said I read a 15 issue hardcover collected edition but they didn't write it for a 15 issue hardcover they wrote it 15 issues because that's how long it took them to tell the story so let's but in that case like I couldn't put it down it was every issue was important every issue was telling me information every issue had action in it and stuff like that it was moving the story forward it took 15 issues to get there but it was necessary for the story but sometimes a story only needs two or three issues and it turns into five or six issues and that turns readers away um couple other things is uh, delays that hurts the comic industry when a book is two three months behind because the creators didn't get it done or the publishers won't take a creator off of a title because well this is who's bringing it in bring it in but I can tell you right now I'd rather get the story the next month with a different artist on it or different or even a different writer if I needed to then find out it's been delayed two months because whatever reason. I mean, things happen that cause delays. I understand that. Like, life happens. You know, someone gets sick. Someone's had someone pass away. Like, I understand those types of things. But I'm talking about the delays that occur because a creator is playing video games or is going out to eat a whole lot and stuff. And don't tell me it doesn't happen because I've seen it. I've seen the posts. I've seen the posts where they're just so active on social media that you can tell it's taking away from them getting their work done. Um, and I expect them to have lives outside of their work, but I expect them to do the work too. So yeah, delays absolutely can destroy any momentum that a comic is going to have in sales. Look at, um, doomsday clock for DC. I love that story. That story was amazing. It was awesome. It was also delayed like a mother. It was constantly delayed. Every, almost every issue. They should have had it all put together and all done. Knowing who you had working on it, should have had it all done before you put out issue one. Um, it just, it hurt sales. It just did. It does. When you have delays like that, significant delays like that, it hurts sales. Um, there are exceptions to that. Like Saga just recently came out that was on a hiatus for three years. However, it was a planned hiatus. The story ended at a certain point. It wasn't like they were between issues three and four and there was a three month delay or a three year delay or anything like that. So, um, reboots hurt sales. Stop rebooting the goddamn issues every single time, the title every single time. I know why they do it. I know why the comic industry does it. Because everyone wants a number one, so it boosts the sales up. But man, then you if you look at the sales on number two, 
right back in the toilet again. Um, and you can make arguments too for like creators, but you have, you can't always go back to the well of the same creators all the time. Like I understand that if, you know, getting some top creators on a book are, is definitely going to cause sales to go up, but those creators are getting old and you have to bring in fresh blood every once in a while. And maybe, maybe it's a matter of partnering that partnering new people up with veterans to get some notoriety for the new people. So then they start getting noticed. Maybe that's what the plan needs to be. I know it does happen, but maybe it needs to happen a bit more. Um, poor marketing, horrible marketing for comics, even the simplest things, even the things that don't cost any money, like social media type stuff. They want to do these big production type things often. Um, you just utilize your social media the right way. Uh, remember when we used to see commercials on TV for comics? I know they're not going to put the money into that because that's not where people's interests are. But I'm just saying, like, there's just think like there should be a comic ad at the beginning of every single comic book movie with with an a website or an app hell an app it says go to this app put the QR code up on the screen that takes you to the app of where you can find your comic local comic shop um and then you have the other thing too is you have people that work in the industry that don't have a business background they've never worked in anything else they are good at writing and they're good at drawing and that's fantastic. They don't have any business sense at all. And now a lot of them are owned by, you know, especially the big two are owned by these big corporations. But they don't understand the comic industry. <laughs> so it's just like they have certain expectations. It's like it's just they need somebody in there that understands the creative side and understands the business side. And hell, I'll volunteer myself <laughs> to help out with that. But... All kidding. I mean, I would do it, but all kidding aside, like, I think that plays into it. And then adjusting to the markets that are out there. Like, are single issues coming out every single month the way the market is nowadays? I would say it's not. I think people like reading miniseries. So you could do, you know, your five, six issue miniseries. I think people like reading one shots and graphic novels. Um, anthology books have become very popular. I like anthology books. Um, I love them because if I read one bad story in there, usually the rest of the stories are good or there's even, there's usually at least one great story in there. If you, you know, if you got like four or five stories in there, usually one of them is fantastic and the other, the rest of them are usually pretty good. There might be one bad one in there. Um, and I think that's why people like anthology type stories. Um, look to see what other markets are doing. Hell, manga sells like crazy. It's very popular right now. My niece and nephew love manga stuff. And, you know, look at that model and see, you know, try to, try to mimic it. Hell, steal from it if you need to. Like, legally steal from it. I mean, um, but yeah, like, 
I'm not saying abandon your market that's been there, like us aging, those of us that are aging and have always gotten issues, but like, I think we can adjust. I don't think people are worried about continuity anymore, nor should they be. Tell a really good story with, with the characters. That's what we want. We're not worried about continuity. You've had, you know, in the case of DC, you've had over, what, 80 years to mess around with continuity. There's no continuity there anymore. There's none. Marvel, the 60 years, I think, now, close to. There's no continuity there anymore. Just tell a really good story. Keep the continuity maybe in the, in the now, but just tell a really good story with the characters. I want to read just a really awesome, a really awesome Captain America story. Just want to read a really awesome Captain America story. And when I read that, I don't think about, did this fit into that? And did that fit into this? I just go, this, this was a really cool story. This was awesome. So those are my thoughts when it comes to the comic industry and why I think certain things are failing. Like I said, there's, there's a longer list even than all of that. Um, there's so many things that you can point to that are impacting the comic industry and why things sales aren't as good as they could be. Um, but then you have titles that come out that just catch fire and they're awesome. Um, and I think we need to look at those a little bit too as to like, Hey, why, why did this, why did people gravitate toward this? Look at, um, Sean Murphy, who's been doing the white Knight books. Those sell like crazy. It's a Batman story with Joker, Harley Quinn, but they're in this like different, it's like an Elseworlds story. They just let them tell a story. Um, Injustice was amazing and that told a really great story. So, and it sold well. Like, so yeah, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't have all the problems, but I can tell you like a, a lot of these things, like, if you're someone who's just repeating the go woke, go broke, and that that's why, that's what's wrong with the comic industry, you have not been studying the comic industry long enough. Because changing characters, um, and, and making a character female or male or black or white or anything like that, that has been done for decades. It's never been a problem before. Maybe how they're telling the story is, is the problem. It's not, it's not the PC thing that you think it is. It's how they're telling that story that's detracting readers away. Um, it's the marketing behind some of the stories. It's the delays that happen. It's the re constant rebooting of a title. Cause as much as they might view a reboot with a new number one as being a great jumping on point, it also is a great jumping off point for readers who maybe didn't like the last series so much and they're not willing to give the next one a good, a fair shake anymore. Um, don't rush into stuff, but don't drag it out either. Like there's that nice middle ground. Um, and look to see what the market's doing. Like these are all the things that I think are impacting the comic industry. Again, I could be totally wrong. I'm excited to see what Kirkman does with, G.I. Joe, I'm assuming that's who, who got it. I know they haven't announced anything official yet, but I'm assuming Kirkman because there was so many rumors about that. Um, I'm excited to see what he does with it. I want to see 
what's somebody who I think has been successful with storytelling and with multiple media and everything else, what he can do with the property. I think he's a little bit more interested in Transformers, and that's fine. But I think he would do amazing stuff with G.I. Joe. And I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with Transformers. Like, I'm, I'm there for that too. So. Alright. So going into another property, Masters of the Universe. I have issue one here of Masters of the Universe Revelation. Again, this was meant to be a preview of, or a prequel to the animated series, which I love the animated series. I love the first part and I love the second part. I thought it was great. You don't have to agree with me on it. That's totally fine. Just don't tell me to go eat shit and die. Like that, that again, that's the cutoff point. <laughs> like you can tell me you didn't like it. That's fine. You can tell me why you didn't like it. You can disagree with me on the reasons why I think I liked it, but just don't personally attack me. Don't personally attack someone else. But, and same thing with this comic. Like I didn't really care for this. You might think differently. I've had this discussion with people that are Master Universe fans that they thought it was okay. And I like, there were elements of it that were okay, but there was also elements of it that I was like, eh, not, not really feeling it. So let's get into the issue here. So I do have the Mike Mignola cover uh, in front of me. I have the regular cover, which I think the regular cover is amazing and breathtaking. Mike Mignola cover, not so much. Not really a fan. Um, I love Mike Mignola's artwork especially when it comes to Hellboy, I don't think it works for everything. He is very much like Jack Kirby for me. I don't think Jack Kirby's artwork, as much as I respect Jack Kirby, and I think Jack Kirby was awesome, I don't think Jack Kirby's artwork works for everything. I don't definitely don't think Mike Mignola's artwork works for everything. Um, could his artwork have worked if he had focused on like Skeletor or Castle Grayskull, like the dark, creepy type stuff? Possibly, although he does have Skeletor on here, and I don't really like what he did with Skeletor, at least Skeletor's face. Um, He-Man looks horrible. So, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, typically I really like his artwork, but it's it's for specific reasons and genres and things like that. So this was number one. Um, we have, it was story by Kevin Smith and Rob David. Uh, script was by Tim Sheridan. Art was by Mindy Lee. Color art was Rico Renzi. Letters by Darren Bennett. Uh, standard cover artist was, uh, Stepan Sedgik, uh, whose artwork's amazing. Variant covers Mike Mignola was Dave Stewart. Um, and so overview, I think, the artwork is okay. There's times when I think it's very nice. I think it looks really sharp in certain points, and I'll point those times out. Um, but rest of the time, it's just kind of serviceable. And uh, the story overall comes across to me like a, 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 at a lot of times like Cliff Notes version of Masters of the Universe, but not in a good way. So like. I think this should have, with this being a number one, and I, I've heard the arguments before, and I think I even mentioned on the show, my statement with this is that I think this should have been something that introduced people to Masters of the Universe. This comic should have been something that introduced people to Masters of the Universe, at least brought them up to speed, at least in the first issue. Or you could have done a zero issue to bring people up to speed. But they didn't do that. This comic makes a lot of assumptions that you know characters and places and things 
and the story of Masters of the Universe. And the argument is, well, only people that really know Masters of the Universe are going to be picking this up anyways. And I call bullshit on that. Because there, uh, my comic shop person, he picked it up, uh, one of the workers there, because he didn't know a lot about Masters of the Universe, so he thought he would read this, get him ready for the cartoon. It did not help him at all. In fact, it confused the hell out of him. So, we always have to assume that a comic is somebody's first comic and that that comic might be that person's first exposure to certain characters, especially a number one. Like you should be going into this, assuming that the person has no understanding of He-Man is what master universe is or anything like that. Bring them up to speed. You don't have to give them a, a preview page that delves into all that. It can be, it can, you can work it into the story. And I don't think they did that here at all. But then there was times when I felt like we were getting... Remember when I said like sometimes things are happening too fast? I felt like there was things happening too fast in this issue too. And that's why I say it was kind of like a Cliff Notes version. It was like there were certain points where it was like certain beats that happened. It was like, okay, we're just going to kind of rush through that, huh? Like, like I feel like this four-issue miniseries could have been this one issue. Like, you could have explained some of the stuff further out, introduced someone into the world of Masters of the Universe a lot better, and this whole story could have taken place over a four-issue miniseries. Um, and then you would have material with the other issues to, to branch it off even more if this one did well. Um, so it opens up with, uh, it says, not not long now. What the hell that means, I don't know. <laughs> Is that not long from now? Not long now? I, I don't know. Anyways, uh, Queen Marlena approaches King Randor. Uh, he's having trouble sleeping. He's worried about uh, keeping the peace in the kingdom. Uh, she's like, hey, we have a fortress swarming with guards. Uh, we also have He-Man that looks out for us and everything else, that there's more powerful, um, you know, that, you know, Skeletor's been gone. Um, and he's like, believe it or not, my dear, there are things, there are worse things than even Skeletor in, in this universe. And you feel like, okay, that's foreshadowing of things to come. Fine with that. Then we turn to, turn the page to this double page spread that has a very beautiful view of of Eternia and from the, the King's Balcony and so I, like, I think this looks very pretty I, I like the artwork on this um, it looks a little plain in some cases like I think this would have been a perfect case to show some stuff that people would recognize from Master Universe um, the buildings just look kind of plain like it looks very pretty I like the coloring work on this very much uh, on this two page spread but the, the drawing while pretty is a little plain. Like I don't look at this and go, "Oh, that's Masters of the Universe." Like that, and that's what it—that's what a shot like this should be. So we get this long narration that says nothing, basically. So I'm going to read—I'm going to read exactly what this says, um, and you tell me if this clue, like this whole thing, could have clued you in a new clued in a new reader to the world of Masters of the Universe. It said it begins as all things have begun somewhere in the stars tucked away in the vastness of celestial eternity 
and the anticipation of its time. And like, I like that introduction. I really like that. But then that could have led into what this world is. But they don't. Oh, the many unsuspecting worlds and peoples woven through the universal fabric, victims to be of their blamelessly narrow field of view. Some guilty, some all innocent of the horrors destined to meet them. If, if there's some that are guilty, how are all innocent? I don't get that. Um, then, in this time of darkest desperation, with the delicate mix of triumph and tragedy that makes heroes and heralds hope an attempt, an impossible attempt, but a champion's duty, a message to strike across the stars that, read by one, could save all. But how? Oh, how could the hero know his words would fall short, his saber miss, it, miss its mark? How hijacked by cruelty of fate, he would watch in silent despair as his enemy, the event, revealed itself to feed first upon his failure and then at last the rest. All but for the warning, his grand unheeded warning of a powerful, escapable truth, the truth that the revelation is nigh. Very pretty. Very poetic. Says nothing. <laughs> it, like, literally, what the hell is that even saying? It's not... It, it doesn't clue the reader into anything. It doesn't clue the reader into stuff coming up. It doesn't, like... You know something bad's about to happen. That's it. Like, all of that basically says, like, hey, something's going to happen. It's going to be bad. Like I said, very poetic, very pretty, says nothing. That Those paragraphs could have been used to introduce somebody to Masters of the Universe. It didn't. And like I said, you're going to hear that as being a common theme for me with this issue. Um, then we have... Uh, Prince Adam waking up. This uh, cringer is at his bedside, and he he's like startled. Uh, he grabs his sword, turns into He-Man. Like we have to assume, because the next scene we see is him as He-Man with Battle Cat, and he's like faster Battle Cat. And Battle Cat said it sounded like. So here's the thing: I remember in I I don't remember this at all. So let me know if if I missed this at all or not. I remember in the Revelations cartoon on Netflix. That battle, that Cringer talked, but I don't remember Battle Cat talking. I I know in the Filmation cartoon Battle Cat talked, but I don't remember in the Revelations cartoon on Netflix if Battle Cat talked. Like I said I do remember Cringer, but I don't remember Battle Cat. But Battle Cat here is talking like crazy. Um, so Orko sees them and says the king, and then we see this big creature. It honestly looks so generic. It's like a big eyeball creature with tentacles. It, it's a. It looks like an octopus with teeth. <laughs> I know octopus have like the beak thing, but this is just like. I don't know. I, I feel like they could have come up with a better creature for this. Um, but we see already King Randor is down on the ground. He has one of the tentacles or the or the tongue of the creature on his chest. The royal guards are there with Tila. 
Uh, Battle Cat says, what are you waiting for? Fire, because Tila has her gun held up. And she's like, we've, we've tried. We bla- the blast passed right through it. So He-Man's like, let me, let me try. She's like, uh, and so did the rest of our weapons. And He-Man says, let me try mine. And it says, the sword. And then he pulls it out. And as soon as he goes to take a swing, the creature is gone. Like, it just vaporizes and disappears. Um, King Randor is down. They go to Castle Grayskull. Now, I really liked how this Castle Grayskull looked. It looks creepy. It looks dark. That's how Castle Grayskull should look. It's supposed to be uninviting looking. Like, Castle Grayskull to me was always supposed to be, look like the, the creepy house on the street that you didn't want to go into because you, you heard all the ghost stories and everything else. That's what Castle Grayskull is supposed to be like. Um, and not knowing that inside it holds this, amazing power and knowledge and wisdom and everything else. So, um, so here's this paragraph too. The felled monarch is hastened to the, the real seat of power, a living monument cleverly amassed in death and decay, a painted foreshadow of the world that waits. Don't even mention the name of Castle Grayskull. They don't even mention that it's, it is called Castle Grayskull in that paragraph. That again would have been a good introduction to that they're going to Castle Grayskull. So again, it's not new reader friendly. Like you have to already know that in the page before, you have to know that Adam turns into He-Man because otherwise it doesn't make sense. You might actually think that that was He-Man sleeping in the bed next to Battle Cat. They just didn't have their armor on. If you didn't know that Prince Adam, if you're brand new to these characters and you didn't know Prince Adam turned into He-Man, and, and he, that in turn turned Cringer into Battle Cat, you'd have no idea. Also, they only mention the name Battle Cat and He-Man. Um, they mentioned He-Man actually earlier. They haven't even mentioned He-Man here. Like he's not even called. No one even calls him He-Man here. Like it's not till you get to the Castle Grayskull page that it says. Uh, no He-Man, and you don't see him, but it's the Sorceress. Like, they don't introduce, they don't mention the Sorceress's name. Nothing. Like, nothing is helping you to understand who these characters are if you didn't know these characters already. Um, we have King Randor. Uh, the Sorceress mentions the Orlax, which you have to assume was the, the creature from before. And I will say that creature does appear, the Orlax does appear in Revelations, in the second half of the Revelation stuff. That's the creature that Man-at-Arms friends, befriends in the dungeon and everything else. So it, at least everything I can tell tells me that that's the same creature. So, um, so the sorceress points out like that the king has this venom. Uh, they need the, the Orlax to find the Orlax in order to, possibly find a cure. Um, so Tila is sent out with the Royal Guards to go find the Orlax. Uh, Battle Cat and Orko are asked to watch over the king. And then uh, 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 she then wants uh, He-Man to come with her. And uh, she takes him to the Cosmic Corridor. And she points out that the Cosmic Corridor not only can as uh, a pathway through space, but it also can go through time. And she says that the Orlax has met the sword of power before. Perhaps there's something in that meeting, 
uh, in that time that could point us towards a cure for the king. So he agrees that he's going to go back. And uh, she says, remember, time is delicate as life. He man, do your job swiftly. Send them back to the past. And then we get this psychedelic thing of He-Man remembering his father, King Randor, teaching uh, him how to swing a sword. Now, in this, again, if you don't know that Adam and He-Man are one and the same, you wouldn't understand what the hell, because what the hell's going on, because King Randor is teaching his son Adam how to swing a sword, and he refers to him as Adam. Doesn't refer to him as He-Man, because he doesn't know that he's he's going to be He-Man. So you would be completely lost. Um, so then he says, uh, so he's teaching his son how to swing a sword, and this then transitions from, in the lessons he's giving, transitions from him, King Randor, teaching Adam to King Grayskull teaching his son Roe how to swing a sword. Again, we are not introduced into this being King Grayskull until the bottom of the page, which is fine. At least it's on the same page. Um, it's also very weird, and I don't mean for race to be an issue. I have no problem with King Grayskull being black, but his son is looks like he's completely white. I don't understand how Eternia stuff works, genetics work or anything like that, but that just seemed weird to me. Like why and he, he could be adopted, Roe could be adopted, I don't know. Um it just kind of threw me off because I don't know the history. And again, if someone knows the history, it's fine. I do I'm almost certain that they did change King Grayskull to be black for this story or he was changed already in the past. Um, to being a black character. Again, it's fine, whatever you're doing, but I just need to understand, like, was Roe adopted? Was, or is this a brand new story? Is, is, was Roe not actually the son of King Grayskull? I, I just don't know. Um, this is where that escapes me. So, um, he, Roe has an older brother named Dare or D apostrophe. A-R-E, I assume it's pronounced Dare. Um, and which is not a character I know at all. So again, my lack of knowledge. But He-Man is surprised to see King Grayskull. And then the thing I'm surprised about is we go to the next page. It's a double page spread and it looks very pretty and everything else. How he can see King Grayskull from where he's standing, I have no idea. Like it, that's a far off distance, way far. And he certainly shouldn't be able to hear what the hell they're saying, <laughs> but he's, he's, he managed seeing this. He's also seeing uh castle gray skull, uh, which doesn't look like the castle gray skull. We know it looks very shiny. It looks very, um, regal. And you can see like the, the magical energy, like that's floating like little piers off of there and everything else. Um, but King Grayskull's giving his... I, I do like this image, though. I think the image looks really cool. I like this double-page spread. Um, but like I said, he's given a sword lesson to his kids. Uh, then this is where we start getting into the Cliff Notes version. Like, I feel like 
I feel like this was meant to be a free comic book day version at this point to quickly go put you through the story of what you will read when you read the full story. Because all of a sudden then we see the snake men. Um, and there's a bunch of dead snake men and that's because they have the Orlax and all of a sudden the Orlax appears. Um, and you do see some of the snake men. They never mentioned by name, but it looks like it's Lasher. And I don't remember what the other ones ones are. I think the one's King supposed to be King Hiss. I don't remember the one with the one with the long arms, snake arms is, is called, but, um, but then we have, then we're like all of a sudden we see Dare swinging his sword around and all of a sudden there's a, the Orlax comes up behind him, which is this giant creature and how it can sneak up on him. I have no idea. And then we see the snake men all coming at King Grayskull and the tongue of the Orlax lands on Dare and King Grace. And then the next page again this is all happening way too fast next page we see is king grayskull slashing the snake men and they're like uh he's like you attack an innocent boy and they're telling him well you shouldn't have made the identities of them uh revealed the identities of them because now you've made them targets um that's what the snake men said and it's and it looks like it's just a trooper snake man that says this so pretty big words for that uh, for it not being like a known name type character, but we see the Orlax in the background being like this enormous thing. It's got chains and everything else tying it down. Um, King Grayskull tries to swipe it with his sword, but his sword passes right through it. Um, we get a bunch of, you know, narration that goes along with it. Again, this poetic type narration. We have King Grayskull going to this orb, which I don't, I don't know the lore. I don't know the history, but evidently this orb can talk. It talks about King Hiss having this new, this creature, but this creature is between worlds. Um, it's through two different dimensions at once. So communication with such a being is as we see it impossible. Um, he's like, I don't want to talk to it. Elders. I want to kill it. So evidently he's communicating with some elders through this orb. And, uh, says the wound would need to be simultaneously inflicted upon the beast in both dimensions. There's no weapon in existence that can pierce the spatial veil to inflict such a wound. It's like, you mean it cannot die? Um, he's like, but what of my son? So then they point out like, you're going to need to pick something that can be forged and tempered. Um, and like he wants to use sword as, that would be like a key. So they're setting up very clumsily that the power sword is the key to entering Castle Grayskull, which I like that, but it's, it's done so clumsily that it doesn't make any sense. Like this, again, this one page should have been several pages of story. Um, so, they're trying to, the, his wife, I'm assuming who's off panel says that she's, uh, what type of tempering, what manner of ore would we need is where I must go. And he goes and talks with Scareglow. And again, there's this poetic language of he's making a deal with the devil. So we don't know. And maybe master universe people do know this, like what the deal was that, that he, gave up. Maybe there's some story of King Grayskull that I don't know. Uh, I'm not up on all my lore when it comes to King Grayskull. Like 
does he make a deal with Scareglow in the canons we know in the past, or one of the canons that we know in the past? He makes a deal with Scareglow in order to save his son? I just don't know. Um, or just some type of deal we, we know of that for him to get the ore to make the power sword. Did Scareglow originally have ore that, or is this something new too? I don't, I just don't know. But this whole thing about him making a deal with Scareglow, which they don't even mention Scareglow. They just say the deal with the devil. So if someone was reading this, they would just think that Scareglow was the devil in Master of the Universe. Like, oh, that's the devil in Master of the Universe. Okay, he went to hell to get this ore, and the devil of Master of the Universe gave it to him. Not that it was Scareglow. This, again, could have been... This could have been almost a whole issue of him going down to hell, meaning Scareglow, or at least could have been part of an issue. And there could have been a whole dialogue between him and Scareglow. But instead it was a page, again, Cliff Notes version. Um, then we have him forging the sword. So he takes two sword, like he takes his sword, Eternian sword, and he takes this ore that he got from Scareglow and makes that into an, another sword. And then the, the elders evidently put those two swords together and make the power sword. They never call it the power sword. They never really explain how any of this happens. They don't show him forging it. How did he forge it? Like what powers did they do to bring it together? Any, like none of that, like this again, cliff notes version could have been a couple different pages and actually named it the power sword or something like that at the end of it. Don't ever get that. Um, then they head out and they are looking for their son, Roe. Uh, they, they, he wants to take on the Orlax, but he also doesn't know where his son is. Well, there's King Hiss and he says, I, we've got both of your sons now. Um, and it looks like Dare is being held up by the Orlax, even though his body seems lifeless. And Roe is also being held up by the Orlax, but he hasn't been tongue kissed by it. So it's not, you know, there's no poison. Uh, so, uh, King Hiss says, like, we have both your sons, soon I'll have the Great Hall, and your lovely wife, and you, Devon, uh, which Devon is King Grayskull's first name, evidently, uh, look around and tell me truly what do you have left, and he goes, I have the power, which, that was a cool moment, loved seeing that, that was really cool, because, like, you turn the page, and he's like, the power, and he turns into this He-Man type character. And I thought that was really cool. And I like how he looks and everything. Um, and then he goes and attacks Thorlax and chops its arm off. And for some reason the sword can do that. Because, I guess because where, where Scareglow was, it's an, that's considered another dimension. So he's got ore from another dimension. So he's able to put the two dimension ores together. I guess. They didn't really explain that either. So that's why he's able to cut the sword or cut the tentacle to the Orlax. Um, and that causes the, both his kids to drop. Uh, King Hiss goes running off and he's left with his sons and the one and Dare isn't waking up, of course. Uh, He-Man shows up. Uh, because the Orlax is about to come and attack them from behind, which 
How you wouldn't notice a giant creature coming up behind you? Don't know. I know he was focused on his son. I get that and everything else. But, like, come on. You just fought this thing. It's giant. It's, it's not like the size of a man that's coming to get you. This thing's like the size of a building coming at you. But He-Man sees this, and he chops the tongue off, it seems like, or at least a tentacle, but it seems like it could be the tongue. I don't know. It might just be the tentacle. I think they even refer to it just being a tentacle. But he chops the tentacle off, and that poses another question for me. And another problem I have with this issue, which is, was He-Man there the whole time? Was he watching from a distance the whole time that, that Grayskull went down to see Scareglow, or maybe gone to a different dimension, evidently? Maybe. I don't know. We don't know. They don't explain it. Um, you know, was he just watching, like, lurking in the shadows like a creeper? creeper stalker the whole time like and then all of a sudden the beast comes down he's like okay now i gotta jump in like how much time passed while all this was going on because it seems like that would have taken time to go to scareclaw get the get the ore come back forge a sword have it tempered together with the sword you originally had then fight king hiss why didn't he-man jump in when they were fighting king hiss but he jumps in when the Orlax. So like I said, it was very weird that all of a sudden He-Man shows up now. Um, so he attacks the Orlax, uh, and then he says, Sorceress, I'm ready. Like, I guess the Sorceress can hear him the whole time. Uh, he has a tentacle in his hand. Um, this, uh, Grayskull's very happy for him. He-Man points out that you know, your son's going to grow up to be a great hero. Um, and, uh, asked what, you know, the name of the other son is, and they said dare. And he's like, Oh, you're, I, I promise you, you, his name will live on. Again, I don't know the character of dare. So please let me know who does dare become that his name would live on because I don't he doesn't live on in anything I recognize or know. But again, I am so not an expert in Master of the Universe. I love it. I love learning more about it. I have a lot of reference books that I am planning on reading through a lot of them. Um, maybe I'll look up the character of Dare in one of them and see, like, does it explain who he becomes? I know with Ro, he becomes Hero. I know that character. Um, so, just it's interesting, but it's also now one thing I did like was that the Orlax got its name because He-Man mentioned the Orlax and they're like, Oh, is that what it's called? And he's like, well, now I guess we know how it got its name. Um, but as He-Man's heading back to where he's supposed to be, uh, he sees hero learn to fight, uh, with a sword and, uh, it's, for his brother's cause, you know, because of what happened to his brother. And we see him then as hero. And Grayskull is giving him the sword of power. So it's being passed down. And then we get this little side tangent, which I guess it's because He-Man's returning. That he's, maybe he's seeing this happen, but they don't ever show He-Man watching this happen. But it's King Randor talking to his son about how he needs to be picking out a crown um, and that 
how his life, King Randor's life, didn't turn out the way he thought it would, but that it turned out the way it needed to turn out. And that he needed to be the ruler. He couldn't be the swashbuckling adventurer like He-Man. He wanted to be that champion, but he knew he couldn't be because he had to run the kingdom. And that the the scepter and the sword can never be the same. Uh, there has to be one person holding the scepter, one person holding the sword. And that's how it works best. And, uh, and, and then he's just like, can you please pick out a crown so we can get on to, uh, drink some wine? I mean, literally that's what he says. Um, so then He-Man returns. So again, it was a one page, like what, what does, what did this have to do with anything? Um, and then he, He-Man, you know, gives the tentacle to Sorceress. The Sorceress uses, uh, and he explains kind of like, what had happened to him while he was over there. Um, and then the sorceress evidently could use that tentacle to grow an all, all new Orlax. And they determine that maybe the Orlax is holding itself back. It wants to communicate with us. And this has been a theme through the whole thing with the Orlax is that maybe its tongue, even though it had venom, uh, really was to, uh, to communicate. And, they found that it really didn't have any venom. It was more of a venom of the mind. So it may have been trying to do that to communicate, but it was too overwhelming for a person. And that's what, why it had the effect on people that did. Um, and they noticed that the Orlax is like backing away from them because maybe it, and they're saying maybe it realizes how dangerous it is. Um, but they're trying to, com- they try to actually communicate with it. Um, He-Man says, uh, Maybe there's someone else that's uh, it's being controlled by someone else, and then we get a glimpse of Skeletor with Evil Lynn. And I did like this image here of Skeletor. Um, it was funny because he's got this head piece on that reminds me of when of what he looked like a bit in the New Adventures of He-Man, which is not a good cartoon. It's a horrible cartoon. Like I like all He-Man cartoons except that one. That one is horrible. Um, I, I know a couple people that are diehard He-Man fans that will disagree with me on that. Sorry, no. I tried it. I tried watching a couple episodes. It's, it's atrocious. Like, and Skeletor is what makes it so bad for me. Like, there's other things too, but Skeletor is super horrible. It's not, it's not our Skeletor. But I do find it amusing that this headset thing that he has on that he's using to control and communicate with the Orlax makes him look like that, at least from memory that I have, makes him look like the Skeletor from uh, the New Adventures of He-Man. So Skeletor saying, get it back. And the Sorcerer's like, I can't. Magic's clouded the uh, regenerated creature's mind. How they knew that they had a regenerated Orlax, I don't know. Um, especially since there was an Orlax in Eternia already, so now is there two Orlaxes in Eternia? I, I don't know. Um, she says, you'll find some other way to kill He-Man. He's like, He-Man can wait. He's like, I was this close to translating the Orlax's warnings. Uh, the whole reason it came to Eternia half a millennium ago, now get it back. So he is discovering some secrets of the universe, basically, or trying to understand some secrets of the universe, which I thought that was cool. I, I liked that, and that that's why he, you know, even though he's been so focused on killing He-Man, 
all these years, he really just, once he saw like that he could understand more, something even more powerful, that that's what he wants. And that's where it ends. So that's where the issue ends. We don't see King Randor saved yet uh, or anything like that. And then each issue does focus on a different character. So issue two focused on, um, if I remember right, issue two focused on Skeletor, issue three focused on Evelyn. I can't remember what issue four focused on. I may have just wrapped up the story. Um, but yeah, just, it wasn't a good number one issue. The art was serviceable through most of it. There was a couple points where I thought it looked good, but didn't really bring a whole like Masters of the Universe feel to a lot of stuff. Um, Castle Grayskull looked amazing. I thought that looked really great, but no one's ever really introduced for the most part. Um, you don't really get an idea of what this world is. So again, if you're a Master Universe fan, you know. I mean, even even look at the stuff that I didn't know because it was a bit obscure. Like Dare, I don't know who Dare is. I don't know if anyone necessarily without knowing a lot of Master Universe would know who Roe was. Like when they heard the name Roe and then seeing Hero, that's how I knew it was like, oh, Roe becomes Hero. And I had a hint of maybe that's what the case was, but... But I was like, if I didn't know what Hero looked like, which I think a lot of people don't, you wouldn't understand any of that. Um, I didn't know who the hell King Grayskull's wife was. I don't know if she's somebody that was important in the past. Like, was she the first sorceress? Like, I just don't know. Um, the whole Scareglow thing, I didn't, they never introduced him. They don't really explain, like, it's a different dimension or anything like, like, none of that's explained. Like I said, this whole issue could have been the whole miniseries. Um, but they did such a quick, like, all these things just happened way too fast. And then the points where they could have been explaining stuff with narration boxes, instead of explaining stuff, they did this flowery poetic language of, you know, making it, making it almost like all this celestial stuff and everything else. It's like, just tell the reader what they need to know. Like you can, you can make that sound pretty. You can make it sound cool, but it shouldn't have to be cryptic. It shouldn't have to be like when the, the elders are talking, if you want to make that cryptic, that's fine. I don't think it needs to be, but you can still do that, but still like, even that orb with the elders in it, when it was talking, said a lot without saying anything, which is kind of how I feel at this point is that I'm saying a lot without saying anything. So, um, so anyways, I, I personally didn't care for this issue. Like I said, I thought issue two was better. I thought issue three was better. Um, it just wasn't a good mini series for me. And, Normally I like to come on here and be excited about stuff. I thought it, I promised this a while ago that I was going to review this comic. I wanted to keep that promise. Um, and I wanted to kind of give a breakdown of it. I wanted to kind of point out like why it didn't really work for me and what I think could have been done that would have made it a lot better. Um, I think this comic could have been a really cool introduction to He-Man and the Master Universe. I'm assuming that Masters of the Universe is owned by Dark Horse right now. I don't know for sure. 
I know that they've done the books and everything else uh, for Master of the Universe, like the reference books and everything else, but they were doing that while this while DC owned Master of the Universe. But I don't know if DC still owns Master of the Universe the rights to do the comics. Maybe Dark Horse does, and that's why they were able to do this miniseries. But I don't think this sold well, and I don't think Dark Horse wanted to do anything. As far as what I could, what it seems like, I don't know, but what it seems like, it seems like they didn't want to do anything more when maybe this comic didn't sell that well, and the first part of Revelations didn't have fan approval. A lot of fans approval had my approval, but there was a lot of outrage about it. And it's funny because then when they did the second half, the people that were bitching and moaning seemed to stop. Like I was even looking for the, the, um, the stubborn people that were like, I yep, didn't like the first part and didn't like the second part. I didn't see much of that. I don't know. Maybe you guys saw it also, but saw very few people that said they hated the second part. So, um, and in, in my opinion, He-Man didn't appear much in the second part either. Not much more than he did in the first part. Um, but I thought the whole thing was awesome. I loved the whole thing. I thought it was great. Uh, but yeah, this comic, not so much. Um, if I was to rate it, I'd, I'd give it a one out of five. Like, there's a few things in it that I really liked. And there's a few things that I was like, well, as a Master Universe fan, that was kind of cool to see or to learn. But the monster seems very generic. Like, very generic. Um, like, it was almost like it was an afterthought to tell these other things. The, the story's rushed. Uh, characters aren't introduced. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not a good introduction to the universe at all. Uh, the art, like you said, is serviceable. Like, but I could maybe stretch to a two out of five. Cause it wasn't like I hated reading it. I just read it and was like, that wasn't done well. <laughs> like I said, there was things in it I liked. I liked seeing King Grayskull. I thought that looked cool with him saying I have the power and all that. And I liked, I liked seeing Hero. Um, I think that could have been done a bit better too, but like the random him talk, he man talk or Adam talking to his father about crown wearing and stuff like that. Again, you wouldn't necessarily know that Adam and he man were the same person. They, they don't really get into that at all. They just was it just wasn't a good introduction for anyone. And like I said, I literally know someone who knew very little about He-Man and was like, oh, I'm going to watch the Netflix show. I'll read this comic. Read the comic and was like, I was so confused. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So, yeah. So, anyways, uh, to end on a positive note, because I know there was a lot of negativity in this episode, um, I do think in the comic industry, I do think that there that is a golden age of comics. I think that, and this was something I did say to somebody who dismissed modern day comics. And I will say this to anyone, any day of the week until I'm blue in the face. If you think that there are no good comics out right now, I'm willing to bet you've stopped reading comics a while ago. And if you're somebody who's saying, well, this, you know, especially if you're doing the go woke, go broke type thing, I'm willing to bet you're not reading comics right now. 
and that you're just picking up on, you know, these, these sound bites and these clickbait things. Cause I really do think this is another golden age of comics. If there is something you like, a genre or something like that, there's a comic for you that you will probably enjoy. There's probably several comics for you that you will absolutely love. It's just a matter of finding them. So talk to people that read a lot of comics and say, Hey, here's some stuff I like. What would you recommend? I'm happy to be someone to do that. I read a lot of comics. I've started doing a tally and everything else, which has been fun. And like in the month of January, so far, I still have another day, but so far I've read like 84, 86 comics, somewhere around there in the mid eighties. So in one month I've read 80 some comics. So I read a lot of comics. Um, so yeah, if there's something that you like a certain genre, there's probably something I can recommend for you. Cause I, re- I read a lot of genres. The only one don't ask me about is slice of life type comics. I'm not a big fan of slice of life just because I'm not saying they're bad. I just, it's just not my cup of tea. It's just, I don't want to read something that really could happen. Like, you know, like I just don't need to read reality stuff. Um, there's been exceptions of ones that I've read. I'm like, okay, that was really good, but I'm typically not, I'm typically not going to try a slice of life comic. Like if someone says, oh, this is a good slice of life comic. I'd be like, how good? (laughs) Like should, you know, so, um, but I, again, I do for a positive. I do think, I also think that sales don't always dip. Um, there's trends and everything else, but I, I do think that there are some titles that show, uh, a nice steady readership, which is great. Um, I think that DC needs to get away from doing so many Batman titles. They have so many other awesome characters that they could be focused on. Um, I understand Batman sells, but you gotta diversify your portfolio a bit. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love reading some of the Batman stories that I, I have read in recent times. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, like I said, I love the master of the universe animated show. That was amazing. So I think there's some good things on the horizon. I think some good things are going to be happening and that there's been some really good things when it comes to comics in the last several years. I think there's been some amazing stories that I have thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and ones that have left impacts for me when it comes to star Joe's titles, I've been getting caught up on star Wars stuff. And if you want to hear me talk more about stuff that I'm reading, uh, join Patreon. Uh, it's $3 a month. You get at least one extra episode of star Joe's every month with that. Uh, and if I don't get one in for a month, I usually double up the next month. Um, and those episodes are usually long. They're, they're like this or me rambling about stuff that I'm reading and talking about, uh, occasionally doing comic reviews. Uh, but it's, it's my views on, on what's going on in the world, what's going on in my head, uh, what's going on in comic stories and stuff like that. Cause I'll talk about a comic that I'm reading and I might go on a tangent about some other one that I'm reading or whatever, but it's, um, it's usually pretty fun. But in those episodes are usually like two to three hours long. So if you like long episodes, sometimes longer than that, if you like long episodes, that's perfect for you. Uh, and like I said, so, I mean, you pay for a movie way more than $3 and you get two hours maybe of entertainment 
hopefully I'm entertaining to you guys. Uh, that's my hope. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so like I said, $3 a month gets you the extra Patreon episodes, and there's already like 20-some of those. Maybe we might be up to 30 now. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of them. So, uh, so check that out and, uh, you'll hear me talk about a lot of comics that I'm really enjoying. Cause that's what I usually point out. Like there will be ones where I'm like, oh yeah, stay away from this. But majority of those episodes is me talking about comics that I, that caught my eye and that I'm reading and enjoying. And I talk about the Star Joe's titles, uh, like where I'm at with them. Cause I am behind on virtually pretty much all of them, but I am, uh, you'll hear in the next episode that I am actually getting very much caught up with a lot of them. So, uh, so that's everything. Next episode, we will, I will have, uh, some of the guys back and we will be talking about something. I don't know what yet. Uh, I'd love to do another GI Joe animated episode. I would love to do another comic review of like classic, either GI Joe or star Wars or transformers, uh, or even turtles or something like that. Um, and I'd like to get back into movies. I know we did all the 1980s movies, um, but I have some other ideas of like, uh, things like, uh, movies that should not have had sequels from the eighties, uh, movies that should have had sequels, uh, movies that should be remade. Cause often we talk about how movies shouldn't be remade, but there's definitely some movies from the 1980s that I think could be remade and should be remade. So I think stuff like that will be some fun topics uh, with other people. Uh, we will definitely be doing another draft like we did for G.I. Joe. We will be doing a Star Wars one at some point coming up soon. So I do have a lot of stuff planned that I'm excited about. So yeah, Star Joe's is not going anywhere yet. Uh, probably realistically have a few more years left. Uh, I mentioned like kind of reevaluating everything when I turn 50, which is amazingly not that far away. It's only maybe like another three and a half years away. Um, so we'll see. We'll kind of see wh where things are. Um, I can tell you for sure that this show will not pod fade. Uh, outside of, God forbid, something happening to me, there will for sure be a last episode at some point in the future where I'm like, this is the last episode. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it's not, there's no plans for it anytime soon. So stick around, uh, have a lot of fun stuff coming up, hopefully for you guys and hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you know, I know I went on some weird tangents and everything else talking about some of this stuff, but, uh, it, I think it's relevant. I think it's important. And then I wanted to make sure I did that comic review on revelation for you guys. So, with that, uh, you know where to find us. Uh, email starjoespodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES. And you can leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the air and respond to it. Um, and let me know stuff that you're reading that you're interested in. Uh, let me know what you think of the comic industry and like what you think's impacting it. How And, and more importantly, like how can things get better? Uh, I'd rather not focus on just the negative side of things, but also like, how do we solve it? How do we, how do we get things to be better? Cause I think there's, there's room for that. I think, you know, people want to put 
doom and gloom and the comic industry is going to end and everything's going to be horrible and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case. I think it just needs to adapt and change like everything else. So, uh, but with that, we'll go ahead and close the episode by saying the force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. (laughs) 